All right. Hi, everybody. It's our CFB Talk 169. I'm your regular co-host, Bob Akhairi, and we're here to talk about whatever issues you want to discuss in college football. Feel free to hit request. We'll get you up here. Lots of things going on. I mean, as you all know, lots of things going on. Here, I see John. You're up here. I'm going to go ahead and let you up. You know, one of the things that struck me, we have so many things going on. Obviously, we had a show right after all the college football games on Saturday were finished, guessing what the playoff was going to be. We, I don't think anyone foresaw that they were actually going to drop Florida State, but they did. And uh, we can talk about that. Otherwise, the portal's now open. There was a wild idea for, well, I wouldn't say wild, but a very, coming from the NCAA, it was absolutely wild. Charlie Baker has apparently circulated a new idea, a new concept in how the association could be run. And this would be a radical shift. It seems to be acknowledging that they, uh, the ongoing lawsuits are not going to go their way. And it, it seems like an opportunity for the NCAA to come as close to pay for play as they ever have. And we could talk about that, but lots of other things. Let's see here, John, you've been super patient. What's on your mind? Hey man, how you doing tonight? Good, good. It's a, I'm amazed that these, how busy and how hectic it has been in the last 48 uh, hours or so. But how are you? You know, not, not too bad. Um, I would say um, I'm vastly disappointed with the state of college football in the last 48 hours. You know, with uh, with the you know just with the injustice done to a Power Five team, that uh, even though that just because we you know, we went off power rankings is now not in the playoff. Um, I think with you, you just mentioning what it feels like, at least to the G five teams, like my uh, as a fan myself, feels like a pay to play, and which seems like a low entry fee right now to be in that pay to play can you know can increase at any time, really you know eliminating a lot of those potential smaller schools. Um, so I guess my question is a two-parter. Um, is the ACC now a G5 conference? And um, is the, you know, is the underdog story officially dead in college football? I hate to go so heavy, but that's just kind of the kind of the mood I feel like we're all in right no, now. No, no, it makes sense. I know you're a big Sunbelt fan yourself, so it, this is hitting quite heavily on, I think, a lot of the programs with all the things going on. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start um, from Florida State only because it, I think that's the one that's been – um, we'll start with Florida State and then go to an even bigger question, a, a more existential question that you kind of touched on that's come up today. But as far as Florida State um, and the ACC, does it feel like a G4 right now? Uh, or probably a G5, G6, G7, I don't know what G we were at, maybe in the G7 at that point. Um, it certainly feels that way for now, but I want to just put a couple of things in perspective there. First of all, Florida State, I mean, so many thoughts on that. Um, I I get what the committee did. They kept saying... Bill Hancock, I still remember two weeks ago, really, he he jumped into a, a reply because typically Boo Boo Corrigan is the one who talks during the media press conference, but he came out and was just like, hey, this isn't about most deserving, it's about best teams. And we were kind of like, yeah, ha, 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 yeah, we know it's most deserving. And then when the rankings came out on Sunday, I was like, oh my God, he they really, the Mad Men, they actually did it, they, and the women, they, they, they actually went and picked what they thought were perhaps the best teams rather than the most deserving. Now, however you want to slice it, that's how it ended up. It, it's a it's a travesty for Florida State and the ACC. The only positive note I can say is that, uh, well, the biggest positive note is next year, they'd be in. 
In fact, if you really want to go at it, Ross Dellinger did a really good article for Yahoo earlier this week where he kind of broke down how, if some of you may remember the alliance, uh, that uh, unfortunate <laughs> concept where after Texas and Oklahoma announced they were leaving the Big 12 for the SEC, the Pac-12, Big 10, and ACC formed an alliance to try and protect their interests. They were so annoyed that they were delaying things whenever a new playoff suggestion would come up they would delay it and the playoff should have if they hadn't done that the playoff would have been actually or the 12 team playoff would have actually already been here this year so in a way they kind of accidentally inadvertently sowed um the the situation for florida state that would not have be present had the 12 team playoff been here so all of that said next year you know the acc champ will absolutely be in the playoff um potentially an at-large team we'll see although i'm not sure um, they need to have a stronger season than potentially they had this year, although because Louisville would still be on the outside. Um, but all of that said, I mean, it is a tough, it is definitely a tough pill to swallow. It reminds me of some of you were around when the playoff began, 2014. We saw the Big 12 have two strong candidates get uh, pushed aside, and that was a big thing. It was uh, the one true champion era when they didn't have a, a playoff game. Um, which allowed the NCAA to actually change rules to allow uh, a 10-team conference to have a playoff game. But they were bypassed for a 12-1 Ohio State team. Um, not to say there was anything weak about it, but that was that was a big deal when Baylor and TCU didn't make it in. In 2014, then we went through you know a bunch of years where it was fairly clear. I mean, the closest thing you could get to a controversy was that UCF year where they went undefeated. But I mean, you know, um, it wasn't as big of a crisis. But this is a year where we had another crisis and and fittingly bookending the 14 playoff era. My, again, just to emphasize, the ACC should be fine next season. It just it doesn't make it any better now. Now, going to your bigger existential question, what's being proposed right now for the NCAA? And this has been something some of you know has been proposed for many years now in some sh shape or form. Um, the idea of the uh, and not always with the NCAA interested in it. There was always this push to see will we have the biggest programs, not necessarily all of the P5. I mean, like the, the the top of the P5, the most financially able of the P5, start their own division. I don't know. I still don't know why they would call it Division Four for all those years. But now the NCA has also proposed it due to the pressure, I think, from pending litigation. I'm not shocked by this idea only because the NCA was trying to say, and they weren't lying. Like, yes, you're right. For Ohio State, you know, USC for Michigan, for, for some of these top programs, no problem. They'll be able to fund all of these things. But for some of the smaller programs, some of the, uh, um, not only in FBS, but even in the, some of the P5, the idea of, of funding some of these projects that would be required to be part of this new upper tier of the NCAA, because keep in mind, it, they still have to follow Title IX. So they would have to supply, I believe it's like half of the athletes in an athletic department and a, a minimum of thirty thousand uh, dollars for each one um, in this trust fund. They're still trying to avoid saying they're paying them, but like this, this academic trust fund would would be provided with thirty thousand dollars per year per athlete for at least half of the school's eligible athletes. That has to be split. So there's going to be, some, by the way, some women's sports teams are going to really actually see, uh, uh, you know, some success out of this because it's going to have to. They're going to have to spread that around. Um, the problem is, and it's interesting too, some people pointed out, there are teams like Stanford that have like a billion athletes, they have like 900 athletes. It's not even a low ball. Like it's, 
It's a couple of teams in the, the Pac-12, a couple of teams spread around the country. And then you'll have, there's somebody pointed out that like Auburn and I think another SEC team only had like three or 400 athletes. So it's going to be a significant number when you multiply that out um, to cover. And the question is, does that mean certain Olympic sports are going to get cut or are they going to get shoved into kind of a new club team model? Club sports do exist. I mean, internationally, that's how a lot of, and not just you know football, but but uh, athletics in in all sorts. Like I mean, I was looking at Britain. I was looking at some other countries just over the years because I'm really have really esoteric interests. But um, <laughs> they they tend to all be club sports in a very organized manner. So is that what they're gonna what's gonna happen to some of the Olympic sports? Not sure. But uh, John, I just wanted to let you. Uh, I know you wanted to reply to that, but since it was your question, yeah. So I guess to go off the Florida State point first. I understand the committee. You know, they went for the rule exception. You know, with a, a player's performance, I just feel like this sets such a bad precedent going forward. I mean, I understand. Yeah, we're going to a 12 team playoff, but what if next year or in any year in the future where you know the 12 uh, the 12 team gets in and team 13, 14, 15 are arguing, well, their uh, their star running back got hurt four weeks ago. Why are they in the playoff and not us? We we have a more healthier team. I just think that sets a dangerous precedent. I think this new rule. I think this new potential, I, I'm going to I call it what I think, you know, a, a lot of people are going to call it a super conference or super division for uh, for football, which, you know, the, like you said, the money's, you know, the, the, it's low right now. But, I mean, that could change at any point. Like you said, it could it potentially lead to, uh, you know, sp- Olympic sports being cut so that they could give a bigger share that track more uh, athletes of, I would, say, I would say, more popular sports on campus. I, I just feel like we're, we're on such a dangerous, slippery slope right now that would really open a Pandora's box in this sport that we really, really cannot close from this point forward. Yeah, and I just want to say one thing, though. The NCAA proposing this new division isn't by isn't because they wanted to. It's because they know they're going to lose probably some of the litigation. And there was some interesting analysis. Again, I um, some of you may know I have a background in law, but I, I know to look at other experts on areas of law I'm not super sharp on. Professor Michael McCann, who's a professor at uh, New Hampshire and is one of the premier sports law writers he does good analysis that he writes up for sportico and they had a good article today um with the take on you know how to kind of view this ncaa proposal and it may actually help them um defend themselves for a change because even when um the supreme court unanimously held up against them uh kavanaugh even who, who wrote a very scathing opinion in that even pointed out like look i'm not saying he doesn't like not saying if the NCAA says basically like no Lamborghinis, they would probably, the court would probably be okay with that. So this kind of, <laughs> which is an extreme, but the, the, as long as there is some choice, there's some difference. Um, some of the courts sounded like they would be better with some of these NCAA proposals or at least NCAA organization. So it seems like it's a bit of a response to that. It's a response to some of these ongoing litigation and um, that's going on everywhere. It's not going to settle it, but it's certainly going to prepare, I think, for the future. And there's still a lot of negotiating that's going to be done. This isn't like going to just come out the way it's proposed. It'll probably be changes, but it's an absolutely fascinating moment. Um, we are seeing a uh, an, a ground shake, a groundswell, you know, however you want to say, an earthquake in, in how um, college football is going to be run in college sports. And you know, it's interesting. Every year, people will say, "Oh, people will stop watching." You know, this is the most watched season of college football. So we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it changes and how people react. Ski Masks Murphy, you've been really patient. What's going on, man? Um, yeah, I feel like the the software jumped me like two minutes ahead of time, so I think I missed some things. But um, yeah, what you're talking about the the I guess 
the more colloquial term, the whole Division Four thing. I don't think that's exactly going to work out. I think they will find a way to pay players. I did hear you mention Title Nine, and that would be a thing. I think the most successful way for them to work it out to pay athletes and stay within Title Nine regulations is sort of like pull the revenue of every sport together, then somewhat split it equally among all athletes at a university. But like you said, like some of these schools have approaching a thousand people playing sports and some are like two to 300. So some programs that probably is not going to be sustainable. And I think pushing to that model, especially separating off other schools, is not going to work. I mean, if you pay attention to European soccer and the whole proposed soccer super league, and you saw how easily that got shut down by the fans, I think it'd be a similar thing here. But yeah, there's, I think the follow from, Florida State not making it into the college football playoffs is going to shake up the college football world, which eventually shakes up the whole collegiate sports world because, I mean, they've said it for decades that, you know, football and basketball are two sports that pay for every other sport. And if you have ground shakes like this happening once every probably four to five years in college football, it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to implode on itself possibly. You know, it is on a lighter note, I remember – Gosh, on Sunday, uh, before actually, on, not even Saturday, pardon me, before this all came out, kind of the joke I, I made, you know, and I don't tweet as much as, as some of my colleagues, but I, I was like, if they don't let Florida State in, there's just going to be a quick email reply all to the entire ACC. We're out, bill us, you know. Uh, and, and then Sunday happened, and I'm like, man, given all the tension for those of you who were around, especially during the offseason. Starting early this year, like roughly, I want to say January, February, during a board of regents or however they call a board of trustees at Florida State, they were basically openly talking about leaving the ACC and they're trying to work it out, see how they can get out of it because these two new media deals for the Big Ten and the SEC are going to give them all this money and now Florida State's going to get less money than Vanderbilt. And they were kind of going on and on and on about this. And then, you know, they managed to keep together. They added, you know, obviously Cal and Stanford and SMU were coming in. And then this happens. <laughs> My goodness, this could not have happened at a worse time just in terms of keeping that conference happy and, and necessarily together because that was arguably one of their, their biggest strengths. Ski Masks Murphy, um, and then I'm going to let up Gregory. Yeah, so go on this whole F FSU thing, I mean – yeah, there was a whole them thinking about leaving, but the ACC has such a they've they've raised their fees after the Big Ten basically paid for Maryland to get out the ACC that they try to ensure it doesn't happen again. I mean, the ACC does have a good crop of teams in all sports that makes them pretty sustainable, but this whole FSU being left out football sort of I don't know what's going to happen on FSU's back end, but also sort of did seem like from reading. Some of the material coming out, especially um, Heather Dennich, who's basically, yeah, um, it feels like she's the only reporter allowed inside the meetings. So she has a fairly good grasp of what, what they're thinking. And I mean, on Saturday night, when everyone basically was debating what's going on, she comes on ESPN and says, yeah, it seems like Florida State may end up being number six. And then um, and then her article, I think it was yesterday that she that she came out with. Basically, sort of seems like with inside a room, no one really expected Florida State to win. Who was on the committee? They all sort of wrote them off already, and it sort of seems like, you know, the I wouldn't call it the fix is already in, but it sort of seems like they're already depending on already having an SEC champion, and whether it was Georgia, Alabama. 
and that Florida State was sort of an afterthought. And I think a, a lot of people at Florida State are going to read into that as in, well, even even with their quarterback, looking back to some few things in the media, sort of seems like the ACC was already written off, and Florida State and Clemson may start making their plans to leave. Like you said, I mean, seeing the letters from everyone at Florida State, sort of seems like this could be the shot that breaks the camel's back. I don't see them getting into the Big Ten or the SEC immediately because a 17-team conference seems a little weird. But, I mean, if Clemson goes with them, then they'll immediately get accepted anywhere they want. Yeah, and the Knowles do have, I mean, I think the Knowles are blunt enough that some people will be willing to make that exception. It's like Notre Dame. Any conference would be like, yeah, sure, we'll take you. We don't even care about who you're matched with. Just join. They're not. I mean, Florida State isn't quite to that level of national stuff, but they, they've got enough. Um, and I do want to. I just want to emphasize. I think next year they'll the ACC will be in no matter what. Um, and you know, another thing. Um, and I was having this conversation actually because um, uh, CBS sports writer Shehan Raja and I we do a we do another um, a show uh, for a podcast called the CFP Survivor Show, and he asked me. Should if they if Florida State beats Georgia, should they claim a championship? And I thought, yeah, why not? I mean, I thought it was a great question. I mean, if they can beat Georgia, if they and, and again, even if Georgia has some attrition and people sitting out, it's still Georgia. The talent is is phenomenal. I mean, uh, matched by only you know Alabama and, and maybe, gosh, I'm not even sure what schools are at that level or, or try to be at that level, right? Maybe Texas A and M, but um, if they can do that, you know, maybe we'll see that. Maybe we'll see. Uh, a, a more um, a more profound version of what we saw with UCF uh, back in 2018, except it's an ACC team. Um, it'll be it'll be like 2003 for those of you who were around for the year. The BCS computers completely messed up to the point where they actually changed how the com- they de-emphasized the computers after 2003 because you had an AP number one USC somehow not make the BCS championship game. Um, and that was actually the year where we had a, a, a playoff without a semifinal without any uh, final because USC number one played number four Michigan in the Rose Bowl, as it turns out. And the Sugar Bowl, just like this year, hosted what would have been another semifinal between the number two and number three team. I actually didn't even think about that. That's exactly the layout, number one versus number four in, uh, in the Rose and number two versus number three, um, at least in the AP. And then the BCS crowned LSU and the uh, the AP kept... USC. This reminds me of almost that era, except somehow we had four teams and we still managed to not uh, let them in. So it's an interesting thing. And I and to be fair, I kind of get what the committee was going. I even kind of it's so interesting because, you know, the other side of this and when we did the show on a Saturday night, we had a lot of conversation from Liberty and SMU fans who wanted to really talk about that when they were still in that um, race to see who was going to get the G5. And what they said in the call as well as in um, the conversations, Boo Corrigan, I mean, about why they didn't take FSU, about the team not being the same, all that stuff um, as a team that was before. If if they were really being true and keeping that, then I understood why they kept Liberty because even though Liberty's schedule wasn't as strong, they won out and they haven't had any real injuries. Caden Salter is still their quarterback. They still got a decent amount of, you know, the talent that was putting up the, the crazy scores. So maybe I could reconcile that, but I mean, a lot of it doesn't make sense. A lot of it doesn't make sense. I mean, and I'm letting you up, Gregory, um, as you're letting up here, because I mean, again, if they were talking about the teams that were the best and they were talking about, you know, who would win if you stacked them up against each other, 
it almost feels like they just did enough to push FSU out. Um, because then I was surprised, and you're still keeping them ahead of Georgia, really? I mean, I, again, the consistency of that thinking, I didn't quite entirely understand. Uh, Greg, what's up? I have one question. Um, in your honest opinion, I know Rutgers miraculously made a bowl game. So, do you think they have any chance against Miami since Miami was ranked this year? And I just want your honest opinion. Miami's been completely unpredictable this year. I mean, actually, I know Tyler Van Dyke entered the portal. Is he going to play that game? And, and frankly, if he does, I don't even know. Like, he, he was so hot and cold that I'm not even sure what kind of uh, what kind of uh, 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 player. Because that, yeah, that's the uh, that's a pinstripe bowl. Yeah, I, I just remember that because Miami's got to come up and play. And who knows? Maybe that's going to also play a factor in it. Rutgers, Rutgers knows cold. Rutgers knows that area. Can you imagine Miami coming up there? I'm not even sure. Like, it's going to – do you think it's going to be a, a really kind of Rutgers audience? Because, I mean, I don't know how many Miami fans are looking to go to New York at that time of year. Uh, it's Thursday at, like, 2.15, so I think most people work oh my during God. that day. Yeah, it's, it's so weird. Yeah, I, I, yeah, it's so very weird. Yeah, no, I think for for the reasons of just Miami is is still kind of they, they couldn't find consistency. That's part of the reason why Van Dyke's leaving or at least looking to leave in the portal. We'll see if the portal, he, he threw his name in the portal. We'll see if the, the portal throws it back. You know, I mean, but um, I, I don't know. Uh, that's a great question. Rutgers definitely kind of felt like they petered out a little bit towards the end. Cause I mean, it almost feel like they got cursed by the committee in a weird way, because at one point when they were talking about why they were keeping Ohio state still ahead of Georgia, like, Boo Corrigan started going off on how great Rutgers' defense was. And I'm like, wow, really? Have, have we not paid enough? I'm like, man, I, I knew Rutgers wasn't doing terrible, but I didn't know if I paid that much attention to how the Scarlet Knights' defense was. And then, you know, obviously the um, the rest of the game, the rest of the games, they, just, they kept losing after that. They went on a four-game losing streak from that Ohio State game. So I'm not sure. Uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see how they turn around. It, the nice thing about these middle kind of bowls they're so hard to predict because of things like the portal now coming into play because of opt-outs for, for some of the folks who think they're going to go into the draft. Um, uh, they've become, in a way, they're going back to almost like the roots of what bowls were about, which was just sort of a, a bit of a reward, a bit of like tourism, like, hey, come see our part of the country. Although um, it was originally for warm weather places like Pasadena, and New Orleans, and Miami. Uh, Yankee Stadium in the Bronx, not usually uh, trying to pull people over. Yeah, you know, but uh, but I'm, I'm, you know, it's a fun game to watch only because I get a kick out of seeing how they set up Yankee Stadium and the idea of people just putting their uh, cleats into it makes me makes me happy. Yeah, I was there in 2011. It actually was pretty good, but I don't want to go back there because it's kind of like, you know, I already been to that bowl. Maybe one day if they ever wake up fully, they can make a Florida bowl or whatever. But I give Rutgers no chance. Wimsat can't throw the ball. All they have is Monangai. The defense can only last as long as they want to. I think Miami wins the game. I'm just saying as a truthful fan. You know, could be, but hey, you know, Rutgers made a bowl. That's a huge deal, especially. Yeah, with, I, mean, I mean, cause <laughs> it's it's building it up, and I'm not saying that insultingly. I mean, I know. Shiano, I, you, I remember I Shiano's you. first tenure there. Shiano's first tenure there, and and it, you know, chopping wood, just building the team up, building it up yeah. year after year. Yeah, I get it. But how many times do we have? Does my alma mater have to go nostalgic? Imagine when he retires, they won't have to. They won't go back to him anymore. Who knows what they're going to do? Anyway, I'm glad you guys are talking college football. I like hearing what you guys have to say. Have a great night. Yeah, you too, man. Thank you, Dean. You've been patient. What's going on? 
Yeah, good evening, fellas and ladies. Uh, you know, I want to talk uh, about polls, something that you brought up, um, which is, is actually something that I, I was thinking about this week because whoever wins the, the playoff will be declared number one in the coaches poll. But the AP poll, if I understand correctly, uh, they, you know, they, they're going to vote their own number one team. And I've read an article or two that a lot of the writers may actually put Florida State in number one if, again, if they beat Georgia. So I'm, I am wondering that could this be a year, because I'm, I'm a little bit older than a lot of the, the gentlemen here. Um, and I remember where they had the UPI, AP poll, you know, different polls. And I, th I think this year could be a year where the, the AP poll, uh, you know, grabs some people to, to follow that poll if Florida State beats Georgia. Mm -hmm. A second thing real quick I want to touch on is NIL. And I think, you know, the 12-team playoff is going to be great. But I think next 5, 10 years, 20 years, NIL and the transfer portal is going to be – is going to blow up college football totally. And I think – you could see, you know, let's say if, if the guy that owns Nike, uh, you know, he wants to throw 50 million. Yeah, yeah. Like. Let's say he wants to do a, an IL deal for five, 10 million, million a year or whatever. I, I think the, the, the ceiling, there is no ceiling in a few years. And I think you're going to have these superstar players going to different universities. I think it could change everything, but that's pretty much it. Thank you. You know, and I love I love these points you brought up. I just want to hit the NIL thing first because yeah, Phil Knight. I mean, anyone who knows Oregon, that entire program is is Phil Knight's baby in so many ways, and he really loves that school for so many reasons. I mean, Nike started because he was designing running shoes for their track coach, right? But um, the uh, uh, I always wondered what T Boone Pickens had he still been around, had he still been alive, what he would have been like in this era. Like this, he would have been an absolute fascinating part of all of this, just because his willingness to also throw money at Oklahoma State. Now, I wonder now, because again, with Phil Knight, he tends to, I think, from what I can tell, donate in kind of an old school way. Like he still believes, and old school is not that long ago. I'm literally talking like five years ago, right? He likes to donate to facilities and the, the traditional things that big money donors would do donate to. I wonder if we're going to get more, I don't know, lack of a better word, new money. Uh, I don't know, tech billionaires, if they're into football, that might be a stretch, but, you know, who, who will come in and be like, yeah, no, no, I want to throw money at NIL stuff because I want to bring in those players. And it is fascinating because I know Cam Ward, uh, the Wazoo quarterback who had a phenomenal uh, career at Incarnate Word, uh, and then they they brought him up to uh, uh, Wazoo where he had a decent couple of years. He's looking at the draft, but he's also a graduate transfer, so he could transfer again. Um, so I've heard that he's, and again, uh, from decent enough sources uh, all over the internet, that he's had like ten different million dollar plus, you know, NIL offers his way. Um, and and some have argued that he may be the one quarterback who could. I mean, there's a couple out there who might be at that level, but who are in the portal. He's one of the ones um, that might be able to to earn that kind of uh, interest. Now, goodness, oh my gosh, what was your you had a, I, I'm so sorry, Dean. The first thing you brought up was also extremely fascinating. Um, uh, what was it? I apologize. It, it slipped my mind, and I, I blame it being a light Tuesday. It was the uh, – oh, the first point was uh, AP poll. 
of the different polls. Oh, gosh, yes. No, no, I wanted to hit on this. I Yes, I have seen those reports. Yes, so the AP poll, and that makes sense because I got the AP, historic AP poll in front of me, right? Um, the AP poll, there have been some of the writers who have said they will vote Florida State, number one, if they beat Georgia, which is a pretty big if. So, I mean, if they do, it's certainly not a pansy. You know, No one's going to argue that to beat, you know, a one-loss, two-time reigning champion. Um and I don't blame them for doing that. And it's fascinating, too, because, you know, I reference, I mean, because you're right, AP UPI poll, um, UPI poll kind of evolved into what we now know as a coach's poll. It was replaced or however you want to phrase it. Um, 2003, which I brought up, that split championship year, people don't realize, like, the votes weren't all, like, unanimous. Like, in the AP poll, I just pulled that up. USC had 48 of the first place votes, which put it as number one. And LSU, which had won the Sugar Bowl, had 17 first place votes there was a little bit of separation the previous week it was actually closer um like lsu had 21 and it went down at 27 and then um but and the coaches poll was actually more striking because the way the bcs worked in crowning a champion was the coaches were required to vote for whoever won the uh won the bcs designated the bcs championship bowl yet there were three coaches that dissented so there was 60 first place votes for lsu and three for USC, and from what I understand, those three weren't invited back because they didn't follow the directions that they were told to do. So this year, um, if FSU wins out, I think we'll see something like that. I think the majority in, in each poll will probably go with the winner of the playoff because those are four exceptional teams. Say what you will about not including FSU, but the, the four teams are going to be excited. The semifinals, you know, uh, each of them exciting in their own way. Um, and who could win out? I mean, any of those four could win out. There's no real world beater right now, which makes it even more intriguing. Um, I think the majority will go with that. But, um, yeah, certainly FSU will probably start to uh, grab a few of those. And maybe some uh, maybe some less less well-known indicators out there will we'll also want to go out and stretch it and give that. Ski Masks Murphy, I see your hand up, and then I'm going to go to, to someone new. I see uh, several people, and I'm going to try and get to all of you. Yeah, about the comment about the polls and stuff, and that, you know, some voters say they're going to vote for FSU. I mean, there's a lot of ways they can still, quote-unquote, claim a national title because um, you still have, like, that. There's a laundry list of former BCS computer, computer polls that could work out to make them a championship, but then it's also, like, I forgot how many it is, but it's a long list of like in polls listed by the NCAA that can claim a national title, like the Harris Interactive Football Rights Association of America. So if they beat Georgia, this thing could go tons of different ways that they could claim a title, which would be fun, like UCF did. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. It, it could totally turn. It'll be fun to see the the, the various people that try and uh, that. I mean, and I mean, legitimate old selectors that that get dusted off for this. Andrew, what's going on? You know, it's interesting because we talk about how, you know, I mean, you know, people can just buy trophies, man. You can just go to a store and be like, I'm a champion. So, you know, print them, print them up, dude. Why not? Let's just do it. Let's go nuts. Uh, <laughs> I mean, UCF did that. They had like a parade in, in Orlando and everything, and they claim a national title. And who cares? This doesn't mean anything. None of this means anything anyway. Not to go full nihilist on you guys, but you know. Yeah. Well, no. I mean, it's sports. In the end, it is just like there's way more serious stuff going on. Yeah, there, it's you know? all yeah. silliness, and you know, I'm all about the chaos. So, sure. Yeah, FSU national champs. You know, done deal. But anyway, uh, <laughs> you know, keeping it in in Tallahassee for a second. You know, there's people that are saying, "Oh, they're, they're they've been trying to leave the conference 
the ACC's grant of rights is this ironclad thing that is so ironclad and preposterous through like 2036 that they've they're they're seeking like venture capital. They're seeking like they're trying. Yeah, to, yeah, yeah. They're trying to find like venture capital partners to help them out. <laughs> I mean, it's striking. It is absolutely – there's so much and, – and again, this is for folks who may not have known this. This is before any of this happened. Like this is stuff that was being discussed in the off season. So, um, yeah, it is – and, you know, one of the more interesting arguments about why they added um, both, you know, Cal and Stanford and SMU – there was apparently some language in the TV – because apparently the, the ACC – truly had some of the best attorneys writing those contracts I've ever heard. Because in addition to this grant of rights, it's supposedly unbreakable without paying, you know, over $100 million, like $120 million plus. The uh, TV deal does not allow the network to renegotiate as long as the ACC keeps X number of teams. So by letting in three new teams, they kind of said, well, if suddenly... Florida State and Clemson and maybe, you know, one other team go really angry and just sort of buy their way out of it, we'll still have the minimum amount of teams. So they can't actually renegotiate the TV contract until it until it expires. So, you know, they may not have the same cachet having, I don't know, that that great Cal at Louisville game um, or not to say Louisville's actually been great. I, I still think it's going to be funny to have like Stanford playing a couple of teams that they probably used to uh, academically hold their noses up at. But, um, but of course, ACC has got exceptional academic teams. I'm not trying to diss any of them. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. That was part of the strategy. They, uh, they let those teams in just in case they lose teams. That keeps their TV money that they're getting, even though it's less than what FSU would want, at the level it was already at. And speaking a little earlier to you know, this, the idea of the Super League thing, I say let's call their bluff, man. Let it, if they if the SEC and the Big Ten if they want to be the feeder league directly into the NFL draft, whatever. I say, you know, let them do it. And then why don't we just have like the other ones who care about the tradition or whatever? Because there's not going to be people are just going to stop caring about football that care about these other schools. They're not going to stop supporting their teams. They're not going to stop going to games. They're not going to stop wanting it. Like you know, let them do it, and we'll see who's you know <laughs> who gets more eyeballs. I guess. You know, mm-hmm. who really who really does or who really has like the, the support and the backing, because I think it's just like it's kind of a silly thing, really. If you think about it, I don't know. I don't I'm not like, you know, him and Han over here and, and thinking that the world's going to end if, if that happens. I think it's kind of it would be a shame. But at the same time, like if those teams want to go and do their own thing, get it, get, you know, kick rocks, man. Get out of here. <laughs> let them, let them have fun, you know, beat each other up and, and you know, make your tons of money. And because there's still going to be, you know, plenty of other schools that want to field teams and that want to they'll have something to play for. And I'll have people that, that cheer them on and, and I say go for it. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> So I saw your hand up, John, and then I've lit up um, uh, Clutches Everything. Hey, can you hear me, Bob? Bob? Sure, sure can. Sure can. Hey, uh, so my, uh, just mentioning FSU, are we sure they're, they're actually going to show up to the game? I mean, I, I, I've, you know, yeah, I've they are. the rumors. I mean, I, I know I just I only say because it's the rumors where, you know, where people are saying online, you know, they should sit out and protest or yada, yada, yada. I just, 
I'm really they would they would how. burn all goodwill that they could have possibly earned if they did that. And I don't think, first of all, they first can't of all, do that. yeah, not only that, but those those guys they want to go compete. They still want to compete. It's not like, and I granted, you know, you have two teams that are kind of disappointed. Georgia having just lost the the SEC title game and lost their opportunity to go for three peat, um, and FSU obviously being let out, but. Man, those two teams, they're going to be motivated to at least show themselves. And the, the, the reason they're so successful is because of that motivation and because of that coaching staff and, and what's built them to, to who they are. But, uh, yeah. And then, but meanwhile, though, I mean, I don't blame some of the people saying, like, Caleb, Mer- Caleb Williams just said, you know, he opted out from the Holiday Bowl. I don't think anyone's knocking him for that. So, well, uh, there will be a few opt outs here and there, especially for the Bulls that aren't necessarily going for the playoff. But, you know, in the end, the games are still pretty good. Um, just if anything, it creates some more chaos. I mean, Louisville's probably gonna. By the way, I haven't had a chance to really sit through it, but the weird, um, the weird kind of ripple effect of of FSU not getting in was apparently all the ACC bowls were ready for FSU to get in, so they were all ready to, to pick their their teams. And then when FSU got pushed out, suddenly they all apparently. That's why, like, it took forever to get the final bull pairings and um somehow notre dame got the sun bowl <laughs> i still can't believe notre dame's in el paso because i i keep joking that historically that was where usc would go when they had a really terrible season that was disappointing and the coach would take the photo with the sombrero of shame on his head uh and i totally thought lane kiffin probably lane kiffin famously did in 2012 where the trojans started the season preseason number one and hey finished the regular season seven and five um, just like this year, I was I was expecting to see Lincoln Riley in the sombrero of shame. I don't think Marcus Freeman has quite earned that, but uh, uh, man, that was that was a total surprise to me. But um, let's hear. Clutch is everything. You've been patient. What's on your mind? Uh, hi, can you hear me? Sure, can. Awesome. Okay, so two things. Uh, one of it, one of them is um, this: just college football just not being able to get out of their own way, which is like as tradition as old as the sport itself right like everyone acts like like this controversy is like the newest thing ever it's it's this has been going on forever it's part of the sport it's the the sport can just never be normal right and but that's why we love it but um i want to say um the the main uh the oh sorry i I lost my train of thought why why is ESPN and Fox not just stepping up and just taking control of the sport at this point? Because like nobody seems to know nobody seems to be able to just to uh to just like govern themselves, right? Every conference is trying to slowly change and oh, we're going to pay the players, oh, we're going to create these subdivisions slowly slowly and like I said, we're creeping to this super league thing. But nobody's in charge and like I think with with like obviously the two big TV you know control in the sport are ESPN and Fox. I mean, I think if they just came together and just were like, "All right, like let's let's do it. Let's just it sucks. Yeah, like no, obviously, but this is where we're going, right? The big thirty to forty teams, and just and just do it, right? Because this whole slow march to the death is just. It's so it's 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 making for so much, you know, heartache for so many fans, right? With all this like rivalries that are gonna die for a few years and eventually come back. And then the other 
thing I wanted to mention was, uh, oh man, I, I truly lost my train of thought on that one. But don't worry about it. Yeah. Why don't you hang here? I yeah. won't let you, if you want, we just raise sure. your hand and I'll, I'll, we can get to your next point. You. you know, it's interesting. The lack of leadership in, in college sports has definitely been something that's been uh, a longstanding issue. And, and you're absolutely right about that. Charlie Baker, to his credit, you know, with this proposal that we just got from the NCAA today about creating this new sort of division for the uh, the top, top teams, again, as a response to litigation that they're now facing and assuming they're probably going to lose um, and they want to kind of get ahead of it. Um, now, the TV networks, and this is where, okay, it was so funny. When you started talking about the TV networks, I'm like, oh, are we going to get the conspiratorial view that, that ESPN is directing all of this? I, I think that's putting the cart before the horse. It's a chicken and egg thing kind of stuff. You know, I think, frankly... The TV networks are just responding to what pays out. And they tell the conferences, yeah, yeah, if you let in some teams with bigger markets. And and actually, it's interesting. There's been a shift to that. And I should be really clear. And this last series of moves after USC and UCLA left, the because uh, that was – because, I mean, we could still make some sense, geographic sense, of Texas and Oklahoma moving into the SEC yeah. and bringing, obviously, two huge brands. But the whole USC-UCLA thing – some of the uh, the interviews that were done and in the background were absolutely exceptional, especially talking to like guys who would like the the past head of Fox Sports programming and and you know people who who were the decision makers. And they said the shift has actually become not footprint, not even TV market in the local area. Yeah. It's actually brand names because people will tune in to watch USC and Ohio State play each other. People will tune in to watch Texas play Florida if they're both ranked. Like those are the it was actually starting to become brand name more than anything. Um, yeah. And so so I, I think they were getting some of that feedback from like, yeah, if you want to get a bigger TV payout because you're, you know, as a commissioner, as a conference, your your job is to try and please the presidents of all these universities and their athletic directors. I think that was kind of part of it, but I don't know if they were necessarily like directing it. But in terms of taking over, like you're suggesting, I don't think – <laughs> they don't want that noise. They, yeah. don't, they don't want that smoke. They, they, they'd rather the NCAA and these conferences take all the heat and then have to deal with with because, I mean, universities are awful to deal with in some ways. I mean, I love universities, but yeah. it's it, they're a macro version of one of my favorite quotes, which I'm going to mangle because I don't have in front of me. But there is no more intense situation than a faculty meeting because never has so much emotion been over things where the stakes are so low. It's just like <laughs> if, if you get enough academics together, they go they go to the mattresses over meaningless things and you get universities and they kind of still operate in that same sense, even though uh, um, even though they're, they're with all this money at stake, it's hard for them to say no. Yeah, and uh, did you remember the second thing you wanted to bring up? Yes, I did. Sorry, I, the, the second thing, and yeah, what I was gonna say is because you mentioned ESPN and the conspiracy. I don't, I don't see how that would make sense because, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but do the people in the committee get paid for what they're doing? If they do, it's not much. I mean, you don't do it for the money. You do it for the for the time. You know, these are all academic. Right. These are all already academic administrators. Boo Corrigan's at, yeah. Boo Corrigan's actually with NC State, yeah. which is really awkward because when he was on the when he was answering questions about why the ACC wasn't let in, he had basically that's his conference. He basically had to say like, yeah, yeah, my conference isn't good enough to produce a champion that we were going to pick as the four best teams. So, yeah, yeah no, no, there it, it's, I believe one of the members is a member of the media. And I, I forgot exactly how they divide that. Like the next head of the, because uh, um, uh, the, the only head of the CFP and its uh, creation has been 
excuse me, Bill Hancock, yeah. who's um, who's been in academia forever, uh, you know, a- athletics, but he's been like almost a professional uh, administrator for you know a long, long time. His successor is uh, you know from the Air Force, so we're going to have someone who's got a military background starting soon, and I'm very fascinated to see how that changes. Um, if it changes how we how the, uh, the the playoff committees operated, yeah, and and my last point because that's what I was gonna get to is, I don't think ESPN would have a hand in this because the the CFP committee, I assume they are gonna be selling the rights for the expanded version soon, right? And and they need competition. So for them, I mean, if, I mean, if they were just straight up honest about it, for them letting in Alabama so that they can have a higher TV rating so that they can sell the TV rights for a higher dollar. I mean, that in a way affects ESPN negatively because all of a sudden now they have to pay a little bit more so that they can keep some of these games from going to Fox or NBC or CBS. So that's where, I mean, I don't know why, where ESPN would come into this in terms of, oh, this is a conspiracy for ESPN because they're going to be battling for these upcoming rights like everyone else's as far as i concerned but yeah yeah and their bottom line is they just want tv viewers that that's it i mean <laughs> we always forget like they don't care about the programming as long as people show up thank that's you. why they Wait, remember the world series of poker i remember when that was the biggest thing on espn i was in i was in grad school at that time so i mean if it, if it brings eyeballs they'll, they'll they'll push it they'll push it hard thanks so much for joining us hey ski mask murphy i see your hand up and then the water boy just to be on the opposite side of the conspiracy theory i do not believe this but if ESPN wanted to have a hand in it to create more ratings, the only thing I would say that would make the conspiracy worthwhile and that ESPN put their hands into generating ratings for, you know, advertising revenue is the fact that I still believe, if you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I still believe in ESPN's contract for college football playoff, they have the first right of refusal for any competitors offer to buy it out. So basically they always have the opportunity to up the value on someone else without, you know, someone just spitting out a high number and not being spoken to. So they could sort of stack the deck for themselves. It, if the conspiracy was real, which I don't believe. Mm. Yeah. Waterboy, what's going on? Um, I want to speak a little bit about uh, SMU. Basically, the committee told us by letting Alabama in, it was because of the grind or the difficult nature of the SEC schedule. For that G5 spot, it was basically between SMU and Liberty. And it was like they went, oh, Liberty won all their games. They get in. And they didn't bother to look at the fact of, like, who SMU played and that their losses were to Oklahoma and uh, and TCU early in the season. In, in, I'm not even sure who Liberty played. They had, like, the, the easiest-ranked schedule. So it, it was just – very frustrating to me as like a G5 fan to see SMU left out under the exact same conditions that Alabama got in. You know, and there's some fascinating things with that whole pick because, as, and really early on, again, you know, these shows kind of stretch on. I, I could, oddly enough, reconcile some of the choices they made with Liberty in their schedule, even though they had, again, a week's don't the best thing about their schedule to the shock, I think, of anyone in the preseason was New Mexico State being a 10 win team. I don't think anyone foresaw New Mexico State rising to the level they did. But um, one thing they did have going for them that didn't work out for Florida State, and it certainly seems to be something that the committee locked into, was it, they had no major injuries. Uh, Caden Salter is still 
their quarterback, they they top to bottom, they they still have most of their impact players that were dominating their opponents. And again, dominating opponents, that's part of the reason why Michigan, I think, went up to number one rather than necessarily Washington in the stead of Georgia. Because even though Washington arguably has a better resume, Michigan had been dominating more consistently. You know, you can make those again if you're assuming those are the things they're doing. And as I've said, they're not always consistent. But meanwhile, somebody flat out in the phone kind of interview after uh, the show asked Boo Corrigan if SMU was penalized for the fact that their own star quarterback, Preston Stone, is out for the season because um, he was injured. Uh, and he claimed it wasn't a factor in it, which brings some doubt. I actually wonder if they just sidestep the conversation by saying, well, Liberty did win out and they have all their key players uh, because they, 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 I remember late in the, I actually have a sentence. He said, you know, Liberty's averaging over 500 yards a game, scored over 40 points. Looking at it uh, any differently than going against their schedule. And again, we do strength of schedule and bands. And the band between SMU and Liberty was not so great that we looked at it as a key reason to change the vote. Um, well, I mean, if SMU played Liberty's schedule, they would have averaged, if they just yeah. kept the gas on the whole way, they would have averaged 900 yards a game if they if they never stepped off the gas pedal. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because, I mean, they, they played – the problem they play p5 teams and, and liberty arguably couldn't schedule them i think liberty wanted them they just can't you know liberty's got uh, some baggage kind of going along with them but um it's interesting too because uh you know ranked oklahoma team they kept close to them and then oklahoma kind of you know it, it was a closer game than the final score indicates there and then they lost a rivalry game they lost to tcu um which was uh you know rivalry games create all kinds of wacky situations you know auburn you know but for uh the uh, fourth and 31 nearly took out alabama just a couple of weeks ago so it's interesting and uh, i i either way i think i would have been able to make sense out of it i'm a little surprised i was expecting them to pull you know smu out from unranked to being one rank ahead of them for being Tulane, but apparently it wasn't good enough and that was that was definitely a striking result John, I see your hand up, and then I'm going to let up Gamecock Superman. So, yeah, my, my quick, uh, quick question regarding that. So, do you think that affects scheduling in the future for these G5 teams? Do you think some G5 programs look and they think, oh, well, you know, if I, if I you know, we schedule an easy, you know, we, if we have an easy schedule, that might get the committee to, you know, uh, put us into the last uh, spot from the New Year's Six Bowl versus playing a more difficult or more challenging schedule. You know, it might, it might do that, but I mean, it's interesting just to recall that um, there were Liberty was not the first team that they were expecting to. Because remember, before the season, we all thought Air Force was going to just run away with it, and then Army happened, and then Air Force just didn't look the same after that. We had obviously Fresno State. I, you know, Fresno State's interesting because they were also looking strong. They had dropped a, a close game early on, and then now hearing Jeff Tedford retired for medical reasons, I'm now wondering if that was related to whatever was going on, that Fresno State just suddenly seemed to kind of run out of gas halfway through the season. I'm not sure if, if they were related. I'm sure, you know, we'll get more and more as offseason comes on and we kind of hear more of a, a feedback on some of these teams. But, yeah, it was overall, though, I remember within like three weeks, the, the like just talking with people like, this is a weak year for the G, uh, for the G5. And, and it, oddly enough, Toledo – also had a great run, but it would have fallen to Miami in the final week because Miami ended up pulling it all out. And Miami is one of those better G5 teams that simply hasn't been talked about a whole lot. Um, so I think really Liberty benefited from the, the fact also that this was just a weirdly weak year for the G5. You just didn't have a whole lot of these candidates sweeping through. 
you know, I still remember the year Western Michigan. I remember the NIU year. I remember, you know, the Boise years. I remember TCU when they were in a, when they were a G5 program, Utah when they were a G5 program. We didn't have, like, some, some crazy team just, like, marching through the schedule. And I think that, to an extent, benefited Liberty just being the last one standing. So in terms of scheduling, had they not been in a, a year where all the other G5s were just kind of falling all over the place, it wouldn't have helped them, but it came down. Think about it. It came down to Tulane finally losing in that final week. Otherwise, Tulane would have had it. Absolutely. All Tulane had to do was beat SMU. And Liberty, by the nature of being the last uh, team standing, took it. Gamecock Superman, what's going on, man? How's it going uh, tonight? I'm good. How are you? It's been tough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, no postseason, obviously, for uh, South Carolina. But, you know, that's that's sometimes how it goes. But, uh you know, obviously, we're talking about the the playoffs and and everything going on around this time in college football, and I've noticed that you know there there are roughly three thousand players in the transfer portal right now. Oh, I know you're joking, but it's over a thousand, and I know Juice Wells is one of them. Yeah. Um, my question to you about the transfer portal is. Is there anything the NCAA can do to kind of restrict it? Because we've we've seen guys like uh, DJ Uyunglele transfer literally three times in three seasons. Last season he transferred from Clemson, and then one year later he's in the portal again. We've seen other quarterbacks do similar things. I'm wondering how these players get this many, you know, free transfers and you know, what can we sort of do to stop it? Because the the more free and, and uh, easy it is for players to kind of transfer out, not saying I want to, you know, restrict their ability if they're not getting playing time or, you know, they want to move up from the FCS to to the uh, FBS level or, or they want to move from a G5 to a Power 5 team, they should be able to do that. But you know, we've also seen a lot of issues where you have guys on power five rosters essentially being paid to go to uh, different schools, you know, and, and essentially being poached. Is, is there anything that NCAA can do to sort of restrict the transfer portal as it relates to the whole NIL aspect of this? You know, it, it, it's a lot of this is difficult only because so much of the litigation that has kind of loosened up these rules um, show that courts are in favor of giving players choices and, and more, more share of the pie, bigger share of the pie. The whole reason um, Charlie Baker at the NCAA proposed this, this really radical, uh, for the NCAA anyway, uh, proposal to, to, to create a new division um, is to sort of to, to come up with a way of revenue sharing without necessarily making players employees because that's what they're trying to do and of course you know to be fair uh the portal can benefit in some directions i mean spencer rattler being at at south carolina being one of those those bits of it but um part of what's going on now and they have tried to restrict a little bit now the portal window is is smaller um which i know is is really frustrating for these coaches because it's um actually i think the coaches were in favor of it because the portal has made everything chaotic for them um, just, you know, now you've got teams preparing for the bowl season, uh, preparing in some cases for the playoff, but also looking at, well, oh, half of these quarterbacks are leaving, you know, who <laughs> does, um, 
how happy are Oregon? I mean, Oregon's uh, in Washington. How happy are they with the the backups? Should they look for a new quarterback, even though they're getting ready for the playoff? There's so many of this going on, even at the top levels of the sport, that it it's tough to uh, it, it's made it tough for everyone. Now, grad transfers have been a thing for a long time. I mean, they were the first you know the first real change that started to make it feel a little bit closer to free agency. And for some of these players, that's what's happening. That's why they're transferring again so quickly. They've managed to. Uh, to finish their undergraduate degree because you get one free transfer portal move and you're undergraduate and then graduate transfers are still a thing i've heard some funny conversations um i think it was dan wetzel he was talking like well you know can they just keep getting graduate degree after graduate degree and it would be funny if they're getting all this money now to be perpetual college football players i mean you know a substantial sum of money i'm not talking like not all of them are getting like a million a year or something like that but more than they would have ever hoped to get in the nfl had they ever made the nfl well, we get some of them trying to argue like, no, no, I want to be a professional college football player and I'll just keep stacking up all of these graduate degrees um, rather than, you know, being a half a million dollars in debt. I'll actually come out with a net positive. Well, yeah, I mean, the professionalization aspect of it. I, right. I don't know how true this is, but but I read somewhere that apparently Marvin Harrison Jr. is considering his options, um, you know, as far as staying in college because teams are, you know, essentially offering him so much money that it might be more valuable for him to stay in college than it would be for him to become a top five, you know, mm. uh, overall NFL pick, which, which I, seems I ridiculous would, to me. That sounds that sounds patently ridiculous. That's a sum of money we're talking about that no college has ever tried to match. Uh, I just I couldn't imagine that. That's that that would be that would be wild. Ski mask Smurphy, I see your hand up, and then uh, in the queue I see uh, the book. I'm going to try to get to you as well. And I actually see keep seeing a hand flying up, and I think that was uh, 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 Coach Clark. Um, I'll I'll try and let you up if you're trying to get up here as well. But Ski mask Smurphy, what's going on? Yeah, I've heard the same thing, but a lot of um with a lot of prospects as well skipping NFL for um to stay in college with the money that they're paying out. But a guy like Marvin Harrison Jr. as a Michigan fan, who I've just seen in my nightmares every day, but it didn't turn out that day for the game. Him being a, a top 10 pick, no college can match that amount of money. But for someone who's like a like a DJ Unile, yeah, I'm sorry if I slaughtered his name, but him probably tracking to be like a fourth or fifth round pick, he's better off staying in college because the amount of money school would pay for him to like have a chance that a title would be way better than the NFL. Oh yeah, absolutely. This has been a boon for some of these players who, um, who definitely would in previous years would have. I wouldn't say necessarily unscrupulous, but uh, agents who would encourage them to enter the the draft early with with promises of picks that just never materialized. Um, certainly, <laughs> although I've heard now we're hearing about again <laughs> unscrupulous agents telling players, "No, enter the portal. We'll totally get you, you know, some some incredible deal to transfer to another program that also may not materialize." So, oh, what an interesting what an interesting situation. Let's see the the book um uh skip. The bookshelf. So, oh, I get it. Oh, Shelf. that's awesome. I love it. Yes. Thank well, you. What, yeah, what's on your mind, man? Uh I was wondering if we could talk about a level of football with a legitimate playoff for just a quick second. Um, NAIA baby. Oh wait. Oh no no no. So we're talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, NAIA is fun too. Um, but no, I was just kind of thinking like uh, this last weekend, man. I mean, I, I went to the North Dakota State at Montana State game. Um, where if you, I don't know if you all were at home watching the conference championships, I don't blame you. But you guys missed 
a heck of a banger. Um, and just, I mean, you had this 35, 34 shootout that ends with a blocked PAT in overtime and NDSU goes ahead and, and goes on to the, uh, quarterfinals again. And I just, that was, that was a ton of fun. I'm just, I'm also super pumped as a Montana fan anyways. Cause like, are we capital B back? Um, I'm just, that's, that's a different feeling that I've never had where I'm like, I didn't grow up around the Montana teams of, you know, two thousands. And so it's like, Oh, Oh, cool. This is what being a fan of a contender is like. Um, but more seriously though, I'm kind of like Delaware played its last FCS playoff game ever on Saturday. And I just, I, I feel like nationally the FCS is just about to collapse, you know, like, mm. um, because, I mean, I feel like that move, just like Delaware is such an iconic program for uh, the history and evolution of football and seeing them decide that they're done with the the, the now Coastal um, Athletic Association, which barf. I mean, just the CAA mismanaged itself very much in a, yeah. in a way like the Pac-12 did. And with the South kind of already having fallen apart in the wake of the Sun Belt, the Sun Belt's rise – the East coast is falling apart. And I just kind of feel like uh, at a certain point, are we having like the FCS championship just become a Missouri Valley versus big sky bowl game. And the last mm-hmm. point, just cause this was hit on by other people a lot today was this transfer portal really needs some regulation. Cause for the sake of everyone who actually works in the sport, just cause like this early signing window is catastrophic uh, with deadlines showing intent to transfer. I think it's like uh, December 15th or 13th. I mean, our seasons are still ongoing at this point, and we're having players announcing that they're transferring today in the middle of the playoff run. You know, I, I mean, it's th- this is just not like, a, like trying to manage your roster while you're in the middle of the postseason. I, th- this is – I'm not against, you know, player agency and needing to transfer and everything, but at a certain point, we, we got to be – I feel like this early signing window has been pretty much devastating for everyone, but like a select few transfers. Um, so I, it's just not good for coaches. It's not good for administrators. It's not good for schedulers. It's, I, I just, and that's, so that's kind of my piece on that. But yeah, I mean, I was more looking to talk about the, the, the death of the FCS in the East coast and just kind of other exciting things too. But that's kind yeah, of no, all mind. Those are legitimate, I think, legitimate beefs, and, I, and I'm glad you brought all up. First of all, though, I just want to say that Montana, the, the footage that we were getting from Montana, Delaware, was incredible because I was at Montana. It was in a snowstorm. So some mm-hmm. of the photos that came out of that were, were spectacular. And, yeah, Montana looks looks legit. Um, I, I, North Dakota State just feels inevitable because they certainly – this has been one of their weakest seasons um, in a long time, and, and here they are in the quarters against number three, South Dakota, who I believe beat them. Um, yep. I can't remember if, if they did. No, yeah, they did. Yeah, I, I totally you went remember that. 0-3 against the Dakotas. Yeah, that was – and I mean, South Dakota State looks outright terrifying because I actually – I had a chance to cover one of their games. I was at the uh, – they played here at Target Field against Drake, um, and then Drake drew North Dakota State <laughs> for their first playoff game. It's so funny, too, because they lost their first three games in non-conference, defeated – went undefeated in Pioneer Football League, which for those who don't know, that's an FCS – non-scholarship conference which is a whole story in and of itself and then what do they get for their first playoff game they get north dakota state who beats them almost as bad because they they lost 70 to 7 to south dakota state they lost 66 to 3 to north dakota state man um just 
kind of a reminder that that they're out there. But I'm excited to see. I mean, the weird thing is in reverse, Idaho dropping down. That was such a some people saw it as a catastrophe for the Vandals program. They're also in the quarters. After that exciting OT win in the Kibbe Dome against uh, SIU, uh, the Salukis, I remember we uh, we had a few folks who were watching that and just like, I've heard that game was also an exceptional game. Um, but uh, going back to what you were saying, though, you're right. And the CAA is just so fascinating. Like the the, the Colonial, as you said, the Coastal Athletic now, because they, they, they've also hemorrhaged Sunbelt teams. I mean, Old Dominion was in there for a while. Uh, Georgia State was in there for a while. James Madison is obviously the most prominent recent departure from them. So they've been doing a good job of, unfortunately, maybe too good of a job of creating prospects that are, uh, are ideal candidates for some of these conferences looking to expand. Now, Conference USA was kind of in a pinch, so I, I do get why they went after Delaware. They, they've, they've been looking for more teams after they got poached in that last round. And surprisingly looked better this season than anyone gave them credit. I mean, they looked really bad before the season. I mean, what was it? It was, again, Liberty. You had uh, New Mexico State. And then you had, you know, a couple of teams who were just moving up, like Jack Jack State and Sam Houston. And Sam Houston, even though they didn't have the greatest season, looked a little more competitive, you know, when you'd actually pay attention to how they were playing. They just didn't have an offense. They had a great defense. Jack State earned their way, you know, where they were able to get, like James Madison, a bowl by nature of not being enough teams they had enough wins um but they needed another team and they got delaware now the question is who the next team is going to be i've heard they're going after they're thinking about umass i've heard that umass has been in kind of a desperate straight who by the way umass was also in the caa back in the day um yep. then they joined the mac and then they they had a really bad idea about going independent which hurt football pretty badly for them so i i don't know i'm wondering if it's a good question because fcs particularly in the South, seems to be getting kind of eaten alive a little bit with the teams in Texas with, uh, that have moved up with, the, uh, with some of these other programs in the South. I know every now and again you ask, you know, and I, you know, we've had the famous one-year fiasco that FAMU had moving up and then yeah. uh, moving back down kind of quietly and hoping no one noticed that they did it. Um, no, it's interesting. Uh, and I, if we see the and now now you make me want to put this in a bigger context because no one's really sat down and sorted out this NCA proposal to take the very right. top of the NCAA, uh, probably of the FBS programs that can that can afford it to to kind of create this sort of compensation model. There's going to be left behinds. I mean, Mac, the I mean, most of the Sun Belt and probably the entire Sun Belt. I mean, there's going to be like P5 teams that cannot maintain what's going to be asked of them to go up to that level. And for those teams, I mean, what happens? Is there going to be kind of a great merger of the left behinds in FCS? Do we actually, I mean, because would that make more sense? Do we kind of create sort of a combined FCS, what's left of FBS? Um, all, although it would be really interesting to see how that would sort out. There's, there's problems with that because obviously the Ivy League and the Pioneer Football League wouldn't be a good pairing um, with some of, the, some of the teams that yeah. are going to be there. I don't know what you would do with, you know, imagine, you know, a major team having to go play a game at Duquesne, you know, uh, in that stadium that's like 2,500 people right off the freeway in Pittsburgh. And um, Duquesne might not be one of those teams that gets there. I mean, there could be a third level in there too. It's, yeah. I, yeah, it's I, fascinating. I, 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 that's going to be the great, the great yeah. mystery is what happens to FCS versus the people who were not going up to <laughs> the people that did not ascend to whatever you want to call this this new division that they're, they're trying to sort out, man, what a great question. Yeah. 
Yeah, like, thank you so much for contributing to that, though. I, 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 those, are, those are mysteries. Those are ones I'm not sure we're going to have an answer to uh, uh, ready anytime soon. Not but, for uh, some time, and all, there, all that we can do is just enjoy some good football. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, hey, Tom, what's How going on? How you doing? Nice to chat with you. And uh, as, a, as a graduate of both the University of Minnesota and USC, I wanted to focus on the school that's been a historical football powerhouse and has been in the news lately for their underwhelming season and what's going on with the, the bowl season. That's Minnesota, of course. And first of all, I think it's, it's great to, to commemorate the fact that we're the last school to win three national championships in a row. Granted that. Thank you, Alabama. Yes. Thank you. Yes, Alabama. Thank you, Alabama for that. And, and who cares if it happened when my grandpa was 20 years old? It happened. I feel like we should be like the 72 Dolphins and Mercury Morris, where we pop open the champagne bottles every year and like, hey, it's still us. We're number one. But in true Minnesota fashion, it, it, we're, we're constantly reminded of past greatness or we, we've done things that are great and yet let down uh, at the end of the day. And that's our whole bowl situation where – we get in for because of academics. It's great. You know, that's what college is all about. But it's like, yeah, your five wins. Not not a not a great thing there. And then you're going to send us to Detroit. OK, that's not great either. And then you get the reminder that we're playing Bowling Green. And the last time we played them here in Minnesota in 2021, we were 30 and a half point favorites. And they came in and beat us 14 to 10. So. It's that's such a gopher moment that is so, like for those who don't know tom and i are both graduates of these two schools we know each other fairly well and uh that if you know minnesota sports this somehow fits that's the sad thing yep. it just fits <laughs> yes it does and i feel like and i am sorry for any nebraska fans out there but i feel like that's what nebraska is going to be doing someday they're going to remember the good old days of the 80s the 90s the wishbone and you're going to turn into Minnesota, I feel like, too. And, and it's not, it's not <laughs> looking at those halcyon days of the 1930s. <laughs> you know, the Great Depression wasn't wasn't that depressing for us, baby. It was it was those were good years. <laughs> I just I just can't wait for the uh, historic matchup of uh, Minnesota versus UCLA at the Rose Bowl. You know, I can't so, remember. Is, is UCLA actually hosting Minnesota yep. this year? I, can't, I know. Yep. I know USC is heading to Michigan next year, and that's that's going to be a, yep. Min- a heck the of a big, matchup. The Big Ten matchup. Everybody wants to see UCLA and Minnesota. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and and all the Minnesota fans are excited because we get to play in the Rose Bowl. Yeah, that's <laughs> going to be the closest it gets. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh my goodness. Oh man. <laughs> Oh, boy. Well, Tom, thank you yep. so much, man. It's great hearing from you. Let's see here. Um, I'm going to also let up Coach Clark. It's been a minute. Um, how are you doing, man? Well, I, I see it's now doing the, uh, the the spinning. I'm trying to connect you. So as he's being let up, Dr. Pepper Bucko, um, our friend from Pitt, and I'm going to let you up. Hey, Coach Clark, it looks like it, it, it worked. So, Coach Clark, can you unmute? Sure can. Oh, yeah, I got my, got my beats on. Well, it's, I guess it was... If I describe the 2023 season, it's uh, something close to the Twilight Zone or the Mirror Universe in Star Trek, something like that. It was strange for us, us <laughs> at Western Oregon, you know, too, you know. Uh, I didn't really want to talk about my guys too much. You know, we didn't quite have the season we thought we were going to have, so we were hitting recruiting hard and we're, you know, back to the drawing board. Or a junior college transfer or a portal pirate, hit my DMs. Um, <laughs> 
But I will tell you, I think that the 12-team playoff is going to make everything we've been talking about for the last hour, it is going to chill everything out, make it come down. It's going to come down the portal, all the NIL stuff, these wacky TV contracts. It's going to even the playing field and create equity because college football, the recruiting is the lifeblood. We run a 3-4 defense because most of the guys we recruit to play defense are tweeners. Um, you know, they're not, you know, not quite a, you know, they're not quite a traditional linebacker or it's really hard to find a six foot five, 260 pound defensive end. That's a traditional, you know, with a seven foot wingspan, that's your traditional edge rusher. But, uh, it's, I, I mean, I had more fun this year watching all those mountain, mountain West games on Tubi and, you know, UNLV with the go-go offense. I have a, I have a secret ambition to coach there someday. If anyone on their staff's listening, um, you know, and so, and that's everything that's happened in college football the last few years is because they took so long to expand the playoffs. Pac-12 going belly under. Uh, it took too long to expand. They took way too long expanding the playoffs. The 14 playoff, you'd see kids from California going to Clemson and Bama for the first time ever. They used to never recruit west of the Rockies. You know, all the, you know, the blue chip kids, you know, that's what really hurt the Pac-12 was keeping the blue chip players home, you know. Uh, but if you want college football will survive, I'm, I'm just an X's and O's guy. I don't understand, you know, politics or the TV contracts or nothing like that. But I think, you know, I think the mountain, the mountain West is going to be the conference of giant killers next year. If I, if, you know, for one, they've done a better job ever than the PAC 12 ever did in the last 10, 15 years of retaining coaches. You know, they've kept, they're keeping Craig Bowl, they're keeping Brent Brennan. Uh, I'm, you know, the new coach at Boise State, he's got people excited about their program. And we're going to see a lot more equity. You're going to see these greater of five knocking off the big dogs. You know, and, you know, this thing about Florida State being pissed off about not getting the playoff, they're going to get their opportunity. You know, there's and there's going to be a, you know, a lot a lot more people are going to be a lot less pissed off at the at the, at the selection committee and whatnot. You know, Coach, I agree with you on that. I, I, I And I've said that a lot. I think – as hot as things are getting now, first of all, it's the best transition for going to a 12-team playoff next season. People are going to actually be excited. We're not going to have the nonsense. I mean, 2014, when it started, because the whole reason, for those who may not know, the whole reason we have the 14-team playoff rather than the bigger 6- or 8-team playoff is because bowls were really cranky about giving up their spots. The Rose Bowl is no... To I used to love the Rose Bowl. I still do. But, man, they have been a big factor in why things have been so slow to evolve in college football. In fact, bringing them into the BCS was one of the things that delayed the BCS um, from even appearing over so many years. And accommodating them was part of the reason why the initial playoff was just a four-team playoff. Now, heading into the 12-team, things seem to be at least heading somewhat in the same direction. And I think, yeah, there'll be controversy, but there will not be the controversy we see with Florida State in a fight over who should have been number 12. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, it's just not going to be the same. Like when I was in college, you know, like it was that 2000, this, the year that, um, the year that Boise State upset Oklahoma. I can't remember. I think it was, I think it was Florida and Ohio. I can't remember who was in that final, but it was Ohio State, a Jim Trestle team. And Les Miles and LSU went in there and they just kicked the crap out of them. You know, and it seems like, man, maybe there's some other guy should, that should get a, a shot at this final. And this NIL stuff in the portal, I'll tell you this, I think they're trying to limit it that you can only be in the portal 45 days or something. And they need to do that not just for, you know, the blue chip guys, but for the players, you know, my first year crunch numbers on the portal. It's one of my recruiting areas. And and once our main recruiting season slows down in February, we sign our guys pretty early we, and we do our homework on them. 
you know, I go start peeking at the portal, see if there's any kids that want to come home to Oregon. Cause we, you know, there's, there's a very small demographic we're looking for in there. You know, it's usually guys that, you know, either went bigger, that's better and they want to come home, you know, mostly, mostly kids from, you know, anywhere between Washington and Northern California that want to return home, be closer to home for school whatnot. And they want to play, you know, but I will tell you this, the like the majority of the guys that were in the portal that aren't under, that aren't on the radar my first year it was nickel safeties which is a fancy term for you know our spare db that really should be playing linebacker you know not quite great at covering a deep third um or slot receivers guys that are a dime a dozen in the modern game you know so it's if so if, if you're these guys are entering the portal out of speculation and they find out yeah maybe you know you know being on a d1 roster doesn't always mean you're a d1 guy you know, and so it was like the it was like the friend zone or the mafia. You'd never get out. <laughs> you know, I, I just wanted to ask you a quick question, only because I know um, you've had your eyes obviously in uh, the Lone Star Conference this past season. Permian Basin, obviously UT Permian Basin. Chris McCullough's first season there, not bad. You know, to to win, uh, to go eight and zero in conference, go into the playoff, kind of an upset loss. Uh, to to my, to my Minnesota zone, Bemidji State. Um, but uh, that was interesting. I know you guys had a decent enough game with them, but I was shocked to already see his name is now slowly coming up for some of the outlier, and it didn't it didn't pan out. He actually came up as a UTEP suggestion, and I was like, wow, already the guy's like twelve. I mean, he's not twelve. I mean, but he's one of the youngest coaches out there. Um, yeah, he's younger than I am. I'm thirty five. Well, I'm older than all of you. Um, <laughs> but no, he's, he's one of those guys that everyone's going to have to keep an eye on. Cause I mean, what he did at East central, uh, cause we got a guy in our team here at RCFB, um, Inkblot, who's, who's very knowledgeable about D2. And he was talking about what was going on at East central in, in Oklahoma. And then he obviously went to uh, a D2 power at uh Permian basin. And yeah, I, I, I've been actually, uh, impressed by that. And, uh, yeah, of course, unfortunately, yeah, I think they, Right now, meanwhile, it just seems like it's Colorado Mines and everybody else. That that's one thing where I'm I'm very curious to see how they this had, works out. So they had a really young team when we played them last, and they kicked the crap out of us. And those that crew they had was really young. They had a you know they were all sophomores then, so they're they're probably real legit. I, other than that, I really haven't been watching the playoffs much. Mm -hmm. Mostly you know, been... one last thing I wanted to mention because this is this is sheer luck. Because again, we have guys we send out to do reporting, men and women. I'm actually very happy with our team. But uh, one of the guys who's who's been helping us for many years, um, he was in. You know, he, he has a, a, a job that travels a lot, so his job moved him to Durango a week before the final game of the regular season. Which, for those who may not know, because I I would know D two this well, it was the number one D two team, Colorado Mines. Which was like ten and zero, visiting the worst team in the conference, the winless Fort Lewis Skyhawks. So we actually had a guy in the in the press box for that. Which we're actually wondering: Are we going to see a um, what we joke the Cobra Kai award for the most merciless victory? And and it was it was respectable, um, but it was it was it was a it was a blowout for the ages. Um, everyone was very amiable there. I just have to say that because they're they're playing for the love of it. But man, oh man. Um, I enjoy a good D2 football. Yeah, I see a couple hands up. Uh, Gamecock Superman and then Ski Mask Smurphy. What's up? Well, I wanted to uh, sort of comment on the whole, like, playoff expansion uh, situation. Obviously, I, I do feel that Florida State 
got uh, screwed over by by not being put in. I would have left uh, Bama out and put Florida State in as the four if it was my decision, but obviously it wasn't. But my my question to you is, you know, do, do you not feel that the playoff should have expanded maybe from four to six first rather than going straight from four to 12? Because one of the main reasons why, you know, a lot of people like college football so much is because the regular season is a playoff, right? The The fact that Bama, you know, made that miraculous play against Auburn means that they, you know, saved their, their playoff hopes, right? It, it made that game against, you know, a below-average Auburn team have playoff implications, and in the expanded playoff, a two-loss Bama would probably still make it, you know, even if they don't end up beating Auburn. The, the Iron Bowl's obviously important still, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I do feel like it ruins the, the implications and the uh, – the sort of intensity of, of some of these like bigger matchups in the regular season to expand think, the playoff like this. I think it does somewhat, and I, I, I get where you're coming from on there. Although I do think we'll see it spread out. Oddly enough, the interest in these games is going to spread out a little wider because some teams won't be necessarily obliterated from contention in the first couple of weeks just because of an inopportune loss. We'll see, I think, also some of the more edge cases in the... Like, for example, this season... Imagine if Iowa had somehow, if it were a 12-team playoff, imagine if Iowa had somehow upset, and we really have to be hopeful here, Iowa had somehow upset Michigan. Suddenly they would actually be an outside chance of being in the playoff, which would have been a really wacky situation. I'm not sure if it would have been the best football, but it would have been interesting. Um, I think I, would, I was kind of all for eight. Six to me felt still a little small. I thought eight would be nice just to, to at least a couple of at-larges there, but I guess 12 won the day. Um and at that point, I'm still wondering why I have... I'm not a huge fan of, of buys entirely in the playoff system, but I get it. I mean, uh, I, don't, I don't think they're nonsense or anything like that. But I think we're going to see... I think we'll actually see a little bit more in terms of excitement across the board because suddenly teams that had nothing in the conversation are going to be like... Um, if not just championship weekend, I mean, the, the rivalry game weekend the week before, we're going to have... I mean, because people have pointed out like the Egg Bowl would have been a battle for a playoff contention for Ole Miss. They would have been absolutely... That game wouldn't have not just been the ugly Egg Bowl that we always see with two teams beating each other with clubs because that's what they like to do in the Egg Bowl. It would have been a real chance to see if we were going to get someone uh, into that playoff spot, um, which Ole Miss probably would have locked down at that point. So I think there's... I think it will devalue perhaps some games, but I think it's going to end up creating more interest in a broader range. And perhaps making a lot more fans who may not have, who started to tune out, kind of still stay in it because there is still that chance you're going to make your way in. But I mean, again, we'll see how it plays out. That, that's my theory on it. I'm a little more optimistic, but that's just probably my nature. You know, I want to apologize because I accidentally I let somebody up and I totally forgot to call on them. Dr. Pepper, Dr. Pepper Bucko. I, I saw you raise your hand and I realized I felt so guilty when I realized I'd accidentally skipped over you. What's on your mind? Hey, so uh, uh, so I was thinking of a question, but uh, to uh, get to uh, uh, Gamecock Superman, uh, to be honest, what wasn't it supposed to be like the four best teams, right? Like, I, I get it, but like, let's be honest here, Florida State probably would have got blown out by 
probably Washington or like what whatever other team. I agree. But, I, I do agree with that. But at a principle, I, I don't think you can leave Florida State out because if you're going to put Bama in, you have to recognize the head-to-head win that they had earlier in the season over Alabama. I think it has to be the three undefeated Power Five champions plus Texas, you know, and, and then yeah, you leave Bama and Georgia out. Yeah, that's fair. But uh, on to uh, one of my questions. So, like, you are you I I've heard you already talked about the transfer portal and like what was it like it tripled or like doubled or something and it's and definitely like gone up substantially. It's definitely gone up substantially yeah. since last year. I don't know the exact we I don't think we'll know, quite know the exact percentage for a couple of days because the uh, compliance departments have like forty eight hours to actually fill out all the paperwork. But um yeah, it's gonna yeah. be definitely yeah, yeah. higher than last year. Yeah, but oh, my my bad. Uh, so uh but yeah, like the amount of people transferring i i just like i it, it's insane like uh even even my own panthers what they lost what 12 i last time i checked 12 players in like what the first week of the transfer portal which most of them were on defense but but like also like the opportunities like like think about it like like all like the transfers that go into the transfer portal trying to find a team, like, yeah, it could determine seasons. Like, well, my Panthers, and now they're trying to find another transfer quarterback, which, yeah, they've they done that three times already, which all of them struck out. But uh, what is, like, your perspective, like, again, on it, I guess, but... Just like, generally on the portal? Like, yeah, you like, know, like the I, amount of also people... Oh no! Go ahead. Sorry, finish your thought. I didn't. I, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, uh, but like, like in my opinion, like also like think of like JT Daniels, the the guy that like mm-hmm. just retired for like medical reasons. He transferred what a couple of schools, right? Like <laughs> like four schools. Yeah, they, he was on USC, yeah, uh, uh, Georgia. Yeah, USC, Georgia, West Virginia, West Virginia Rice. He'd been on, and Rice. now he wants to be a coach, and I was like, there have been coaches who have coached at fewer schools than he's played at. <laughs> yeah. but uh, There's also coaches that have been coaching longer that have uh, moved programs fewer times. <laughs> yeah, I, it's just that. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, that number just—I I still can't get over that one. That, that like, hit him. Yeah, <laughs> thanks, coach, on that one. By the way, but yeah, no, I, I just want to say, I think I get the portal. I'm kind of—I mean, the—I feel like it helps players a lot more on the net. I mean, it's got negatives to it. I, I absolutely agree, and and we've seen some interesting examples of folks who keep just sort of working their way through it. But at the very least, for some of the players who get stuck, and I mean, to be clear, a lot of the the, the guys entering the portal right now, they're not necessarily, we're not talking like top tier talent. There's sometimes folks who yeah. may not have even played a meaningful down for the team they're at. They're just looking to play meaningful down anywhere. Um, and, and but, you sympathize with them, but, uh, but yeah, no, at the same time though, but, you got some, I mean, I still can't believe Kyle McCord entered the portal. I mean, I kind of get it, but I mean, there must've been a really interesting conversation in Ohio state where he got the vibe that no, no, you're, we're looking for your replacement right now. So he ended up, he's I, I, in the portal, you know, we'll see how he does somewhere. I, I don't think he's going to necessarily have the same interest as a hypothetical Cam Ward, only because I wouldn't be surprised if he just goes in the NFL or um, yeah. Will Howard, D- Dylan Gabriel is now in the, you know, we're, we'll see where some of these guys land. But um, 
Better, it's interesting, and I don't know. I mean, you know, the ability to build teams. I mean, think about it. We got, the, I mean, uh, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. made the made the finalists of the Heisman this year. That was kind of a, a pleasant surprise. I thought it was just going to be three finalists. And all three of the quarterbacks are transfer guys. I mean, all were at one point in the Pac, you know, either in or from the Pac-12, you know. I mean, uh, uh, we've got, you know, the, the presumed winner of the Heisman, and I think he is going to win. You know, he went to LSU from Arizona State, and you got Bo Nix from Auburn, and you got uh, and former Indiana quarterback uh, Penix. So it's, uh, it's an interesting situation there, and you kind of get why these guys are constantly looking because, I mean, what the previous year, Caleb Williams is like the poster child for making that work. Um, yeah. of course, too bad the rest of the team sucks at USC this particular last season, but it is what it is. Um, hey, you know, uh, Ski Mask Murphy, I see your hand up. Oh, yes. Staying on topic, but still going back to uh, Coach Clark's point and sort of that um, the 14 playoff with it being so small sort of ruined things a little bit, sort of concentrated power of which teams got attention in a sense because that sort of was leading to all of this sort of transferred madness and sort of before, when it was just the BCS and even sort of more, when it was just sort of the poll era, was sort of, you know, you wanted to be on a team that would make one of the, the big bowl games because you knew that's where the attention would be. So you sort of knew there was, like, competition within each conferences and some of the smaller conferences, a few select schools. But once it got to four, it sort of just concentrated kind of like, these are – they're select teams that actually have a chance to be there and those are the only ones that get, get attention. And I sort of see that sort of, like, cycling through – the transport is sort of like you got the guys where it's like like a Cal McCord where it's like you're at the big school. Then once the big school realizes you're not their guy, you know you have to leave to go to a smaller school, which the school is just looking to pay pay you with hopes of like, hey, maybe he can revitalize his team, get us competitive. Then it doesn't happen there. Then he ends up at a third school. I mean, it's to the point where JT Daniels and um, Tate Martell should probably start a podcast about quarterbacks who don't work out and go through the whole gambit. And then you got the guys like Jaden Daines, where he sort of was raising up um, Arizona State his freshman year with Herm Edwards. Then it's sort of like everybody sort of immediately got the feeling like, oh, this kid's actually good as a true freshman. We know he's going somewhere else to one of the teams that could win that could win a title. Even though Arizona State realistically they could build the program to be very competitive, but it's sort of like in the the fourteen playoffs sort of made it like, no, there's a short list of schools where it's going to be. But I think Coach maybe looking in a looking for brighter days with the 12 team playoff and that there's going to be more schools that everyone's going to pay attention to because you want to see there's going to be more games and more teams who are going to be buying for those 12 spots instead of just realistically, I would say these days it's like about halfway through the season, it's like 10 schools that are realistically being placed in those four spots. But with 12, it could easily be like 30 to 40 schools, which you still pay attention to. That's just how I feel. You know, on a lighter note, I was just thinking one of my favorite transfer stories is uh, Tyler Bushner has entered the NCAA transfer portal, but not for football. He entered for men's lacrosse. Um, <clears throat> so he's going to finish the season as a backup quarterback at Alabama because, of course, he, he did start one game and it didn't go so great for the uh, – uh, I mean, they won, but it was, it was a tough game for Alabama earlier on in the season. Of course, he transferred in from Notre Dame uh, with his former offensive coordinator, Tommy Reese, but now he's going to head back to Notre Dame, it sounds like, to, uh, to complete his lacrosse career. That dude has been able to say he started a game at Notre Dame football, Alabama football, and then you know finishes out wherever he decides to play lacrosse. Maybe he'll go to like Johns Hopkins or one of these top schools in, in lacrosse. But that was, that was one of my favorite transfer portal uh, stories, only because 
man, um, that's just someone who's just got raw athletic talent. And even if he didn't come together as a, as a football starter, I mean, still, I mean, can't that's unassailable. You know, there's one other person I saw here. I wanted to let him up and then we'll go back to coach. Um, Jason fan, what's going on? Oh, hey, Jason fan, if you can hit unmute, otherwise, uh, Let's see here, Coach. What's going on? We'll, we'll, we can hear from you, and then, uh, and if we need to, we can get we, Jason. Well, can just yeah. Here's here's my two bits on the portal. It's crazy because they've just let it run wild. I think they're, they got a 45 day window. I'm not off the top of my head. But I'd be encouraging that. And there's good and bad from the portal. It's a double edged knife. You know, for one, uh, you know, we as coaches have to be better people because of it. I can't. I mean, I've always as a recruiter, I've never BSed a kid. I'm the same guy recruiting him as when I'm going to be coaching him. I'm not going to, you know, the days of Woody Hayes recruiting guys not to go play for Bo Schembechler and Ride Pine are long gone. Um, and that being said, too, you know, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. Like, you know, most teenage boys want to go to the show. And so we had a kid, you know, at, named Jordan McCarty. Wins a state title at uh, Silverton High here in Oregon. Goes out to Colorado Springs to place for Coach Calhoun. And after Plevier, you know, probably academy life isn't for me. And, you know, Monmouth, Oregon is a heck of a lot closer to to, Silver, to, to Silverton than uh, Colorado Springs. And so, you know, he was, we recruited him out of high school. It's like, all right, yeah, we'll take you on board. You know, great. Um, that, that's why the portal should exist. And, but that being said, there's, thing, you know, you know, bigger is not always better and the grass on, ain't always greener on the other side. Yeah, you don't. It, it does take away what used to have to be what sometimes felt like a necessary, a necessary attempt to overstate like a family illness or something. Remember that used to be it, like uh, an, uh, an exception to a transfer, just so that someone could go because someone was was ill in the family and they could be closer to home. And I'm sure those were genuine. At least most of them were, but there were times where honestly, you'd hear that one. And the whole scenario around the player felt a little bit disingenuous on it, but the portal does allow that without, you know, going into those situations. And we, you know, let go ahead. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Bob. So, well, we've only really taken a few kids from the portal. For one, we as a, as the you know as a division division two, and you know, not being fully funded, we've only had a, a couple guys we've really brought in from that. And I'll say this too, you know, when I'm crunching numbers on the, I, I think I enjoy, you know talking to the JC, the junior Juco players a little more because there's a lot, a lot of them and some of them are pretty talented. They don't, they're still, they still, you still see guys that, that sign D1 and get D1 offers, but it's not near as frequent. So we have our, when it comes to the California junior colleges, we really have our cream of the crop being one of two D2s left on the West Coast. Uh, and, but what I will say this, the portal might, it's not a replacement for the relationships you have with high school coaches. I, you're going to see it. You might've seen a little bit of it. I don't know off the top of my head, but you're going to see one program where they recruit zero high school players, you know, from the freshman class. It's all transfer portal, portal pirates. Right. And there's, it's going to be the most talented team ever s- assembled, but it is going to be dysfunction junction. It'll be just about as bad as, as the death penalty at SMU back in 88. I think. It reminds me of some of the complaints Again, prior to the portal, where you have JUCO heavy teams, um, I know, for example, I believe I forgot the coach, but it was at Texas State. That was kind of how they were operating for a while, and it didn't quite pan out because they were trying to build, you know, experience in a hurry, and that was the old way you do it. Um, although not a popular method with with all coaches for a lot of reasons um, to go that heavy into it, and it's ironic too because actually. 
Uh, G.J. Kinney, who took over at Texas State this season and then has them in their first bowl as an FBS program ever. Um, they're playing Rice in uh, uh, Dallas this uh, for the holidays. But they, uh, they were actually the second most transfer portal heavy team. They had, I believe, somewhere in the 40 range of players, um, which was second to... The problem is Colorado was so far ahead of them that no, they kind of were able to operate quietly and on the side, like, hey, no, pay no attention to the Bobcats. Everyone look at Colorado. Um, well, what crimes going on is a little bit different. That's year one. You know, and it was... I mean, I played NAI ball, and Tabor College was like that my first year when Coach Gardner came back, you know, and was trying to rebuild his tower of power. You know, there were only 20, 30-something guys in there that from the previous season and in there in those abominable spring workouts, you know, I mean, I would just be a little bit concerned if, if they were bringing in if that many transfers were coming and going year three or four. That's my two bits. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, you know, I'm going to slowly start wrapping this up. Um, we're at right now about an hour and 30 minutes, 38 minutes in. A couple of thoughts, you know, before I forget, uh, one of the cooler things I always enjoy, I, I'm an architecture buff. So uh, USF, South Florida, uh, has revealed renderings of their on-campus stadium. They were using kind of a placeholder for a while. They hired that Kansas City-based architecture firm, uh, Populous, who has designed literally over a 1,000 sports venues. They've been around forever. They used to be called um, HOK Sport. They were a spinoff of the larger firm. And then they renamed themselves Populous some while back. I'm old enough to remember when they had the old name. But... They're the guys that designed the Colorado State Stadium uh, canvas in uh, in Fort Collins. They designed uh, the uh, I think it's Protective Field. I always forget the name of, it, but UAB's new stadium. They designed um, McLean, which is Baylor Stadium. They they've been a good job at designing. So the renderings of what USF is planning looks pretty nice. It's going to be on campus, so they're no longer playing where the Bucks play in the NFL. It's not like crazy fancy, but it's it's neat to see it because again, their budget's a little more modest um but it'll be a nice venue for them and and maybe help the bulls along as they try to um i'd say keep up with uh their old rivals at ucf um you know it was interesting to see some of the responses to what charlie baker proposed with the ncaa just kind of reiterate that the uh ncaa in response to the all the litigation and all the things that's coming up has decided to propose a uh, new level of the division, basically a division above Division One, um, which will have institutions with basically the wealthiest institutions um, so they can directly compensate athletes through, quote, an enhanced educational trust fund. Again, doing everything they can to avoid the word employee. Um, it would require schools that opt in to make an investment of at least $30,000 per year per athlete for at least half of the school's eligible athletes. And because they would have to also adhere to Title IX, that means it could be a boon for some women's sports. Let's be very clear about that. There's going to be some women's sports that are going to get incredible uh, windfalls from this. But some schools are going to be in an interesting uh, situation, especially if you have a lot of sports and a lot of non-revenue sports, which tend to be everything other than uh, men's basketball and football, and, and even men's, not all of them are as profitable. A couple of schools have some hockey that's successful. A couple of schools, women's basketball can, can pull in some money. But um, the football is obviously where all the money really is. Now, as someone pointed out, Stanford and a couple of other of these schools have like 900 athletes. Well, there are FBS programs that in total have three or 400 athletes. So 
think about the, it doesn't take, I mean, I'm not a great math person, but you know, 450 versus, you know, 200 in terms of $30,000 per athlete per year, that's going to be a huge outlay for some of these programs that are going to have to make some interesting choices. Um, if they decide to try and move up to that level, uh, again, a lot of this stuff is still in the early stages. It was the initial proposal, which I'm sure the wheels of the NCAA will turn pretty slowly because there's so many levels of it and, and, and academics like to drag their feet. Um, although they are trying to keep ahead of all that litigation that's going on, it's not going to necessarily negate the net litigation that's going on, but it's going to answer some of the questions that have been posed to them. And uh, again, looking at some of the analysis by some of the uh, uh, sports, le- sports law minds who I deeply respect, it does seem to give them at least some uh, footing where they could credibly defend their plan in, under antitrust law um, because it seems to have been drafted to, to get around it. Um, so much other things are going on. My goodness, we, we've touched on so many topics this evening. Um, we're going to go ahead and start wrapping this up. I can't wait to see what happens in the next week. It theoretically should co- start calming down a little bit, right? I think the next week we'll hopefully get a couple of um, more spots in the coaching carousel finalized. Oh, by the way, I, I don't think it's officially happened, but I know the most recent one is New Mexico is apparently going to go the free agent route and bring Bronco Mendenhall out of retirement, um, the former BYU slash Virginia head coach, to be their next head coach. It reminds me of when they they pulled up, um, oh my gosh, Notre Dame's old coach. It just always felt like New Mexico is a place that, like, actually New Mexico State needed, like, a former head coach that was willing to kind of just, you know, be patient and make it work out. So looking forward to seeing if that that finalizes and, and, and who else is up there. But so many more things going up. Maybe we'll have an idea where some of these portal players are next week. But on behalf of all of us at RCFB, I'm Bob Ekhiri. It's always great hearing from you, hearing your thoughts on college football. This was RCFB Talk 169. I just wanted to thank you all. And now I'm going to hang up and listen.